All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. We're finally back in the swing of things. We are. We 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 said last week pretty soon there would be balls bouncing, and there were balls bouncing in the Sixers training facility at Camden, New Jersey. There were presumably balls that were being dribbled before that. It's just we didn't have any access to that, and it wasn't officially sanctioned team practices. But we are here now. You have four days, basically, of training camp in basketball, which seems comically small, and quite frankly, it is. But that's sort of the era that we are in, and we get to cover those. And then pretty soon they will be scrimmaging down in Delaware. Yeah. It's a good time. And we got to see a little bit of a scrimmage at the end of today's practice, which is, uh, I think usually it's reserved for the last day of training camp, but it was good that we got to see uh, a little five-on-five action today. Hey, maybe maybe we'll get two days. Who knows? Maybe. I'm not sure. I think some people might have filmed too much or or something, (laughs) so I'm not holding my breath on that one. But, uh, you know, it it is funny when you – you finally get to see. You can't let that that video get out there, otherwise other teams might figure out what the Malone line is, and you can't. You can't yeah, no, you happen. can't. You can't do that. But it, you do want to take away so much because you're just. I mean, you haven't seen NBA basketball in such a long time, but it's you know you find yourself in the middle of the scrimmage thinking, okay, it doesn't really matter that Howell Neto hit a three there. That's. <laughs> I mean, it's cool, good for him. I'm sure it helps, but. uh yeah, I guess it's not that big of a deal, but it's it was fun to see for sure. Well, there's two things about a scrimmage like this, especially when we all then go home and, and post video of it. And, and you're right, you'll post like one video of Neto making a three, and it's like, oh, that that that's relevant. No, back really up point isn't. guard. <laughs> you got it's, it. It's just like on the one hand, it's it's the first action we see of the season. It's the only real five on five action we have seen, and quite frankly, it's the it's how what do we. A, Five times a year, maybe we see five on five real scrimmages. Like they'll get into January and they'll just be done practicing for the season. So it is as much as you think we probably see of practice, we see much less. We see the last 10 minutes of it. It's usually yeah. all jumpers. Um, you know, the first day of training camp, it was all jumpers. Today we came in, you know, on Wednesday we came in and they were doing some five on five, which was nice to see. I will always prefer watching five on five over what we normally get. That doesn't mean that. Whoever did or did not make shots is particularly relevant, but it was, again, it was nice to see for us, for the fans, for everyone. Speaking of the filming, I think I've brought this up on the pod before, but I was talking about it today with uh, Serena Serena Winters, and I don't think you were there for it, but last year when we got let in to the practice when we weren't supposed to. Oh, and Brett to, didn't want him in yet? Yeah. And yep. the TV cameras were just filming everything while they were clearly walking through whatever plays I think Detroit was going to run the next day. It, yeah, that they were was, game planning for a team. Yep. That was hilarious. Uh, yep. It wasn't wasn't quite We don't see a there. really pissed off Brett Brown too much. He was not happy about the media and the film crews being led in at that, at that portion of the practice. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was just a scrimmage. And uh, I, guess, I guess where I'd want to start is the person who wasn't scrimmaging, at least when we were watching. Joe? Yeah. I think he's kind of won the last couple of days in terms, you know, he's on Zach Lowe's podcast. I thought he gave some, some pretty good answers at media day after going quiet this summer. I, you know, he, he'll tell anybody uh, that he wasn't on social media. What, uh, I, I guess. Lasting what you, influence of JJ Reddick. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I guess we can mention that first because I, I told you that today. Uh, he gets asked about the offense a lot, and he has really made a point to say that it's going to be tough and yeah. it's going to be tougher for him. And, and basically, uh, I think if you if we had to take a shot every time he mentioned losing Butler and Reddick over yeah. the past few days, we would not have been legally allowed to drive home. No, and, and our, our 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 training camp notes would have been probably more entertaining, probably, but not nearly as coherent. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's you know it's not the stuff that we haven't said, so I don't want to necessarily make it out as he's uh he's super bummed about the changes, but he is acknowledging that the offense is going to be different Yep, and that the spacing is going to be tougher for him. And I do actually think he's going to really miss JJ. I think that's, we, we talked about that and, and kind of speculated about it over, over the summer, but it, it's pretty clear that uh whatever two man game he works with Josh Richardson, it's not going to quite be the same for him. No. And look, I mean, it, it anytime you have the kind of chemistry between two players that JJ and Embiid had, and anytime you had, two skill sets that could complement each other as well as JJ's and Embiid's could, it would be ridiculous to think that Joel's not going to pick up on that and not going to notice that and not going to feel the loss of JJ Redick on the offensive side of the court. Of course he is. And I wouldn't expect Joel to say anything differently. Like if he said he wasn't going to miss JJ, I didn't think he'd be being honest with himself or maybe just not honest with the camera, which is fine. They don't have to be honest with us. But, uh, you know, he's, he's been pretty, pretty open and, and you, he is going to miss JJ and he's acknowledged that. And to your point about the offense, you know, whenever you ask anyone around the team right now about their defense, like they'll come right out and say, we think we should have the number one defense in the league. Like they're all super confident. Yeah. I mean, he said that as a goal and they're super confident. They're super almost cocky, uh, for a preseason goal to set. And then you ask Joel about the offense the other day, you know, and his response was a little bit more measured. It was, you know, yeah. we, we've got some stuff to figure out. It's going to take some time. Gotta, yeah. We lost a fourth quarter scorer. We lost our, our main floor spacer. I've, I've got to, I've got to take on a larger load, scoring load and, and shot creation load. And, and at the end, he's like, but we'll be fine. So it's like the defense are like, we're going to be the best in the league. And the offense, it's like, well, we'll be fine. And you can certainly tell that they are cognizant of, you know, which side they're going to have to really work on and which side maybe they're a little better equipped just right out of the gate to succeed at. And, and you know, we'll see uh, We'll see what that means. Like if Ben or Joel take a huge jump, this any concern we have could could be rendered moot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's and, – and I think if Brett had his druthers, being able to have a stifling best-in-class defense is what he would prefer anyway. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, with, with the, the Reddick and Butler stuff, I know we all want to rip on Jimmy and his, uh, his ending up in Miami, but he's been very much involved in Joe's comments as well. Like, I'm, I'm going to miss him. I, uh, I still talk to him a lot and, and he was, uh, he, he certainly understands the, the things that Jimmy did at the end of games for the Sixers. Also, with Joe. How many jabs has he taken at Brian Colangelo in the last couple of days? <laughs> well, uh, going back to Jimmy, like you can make a very real case that Jimmy and JJ were the best two offensive fits with Joel Embiid. So, like 
and look, we're all super, I, I, we got one pretty scathing email that, that we were too negative. And like I've said multiple times over the summer that they could theoretically win 60 games. I don't, I wouldn't say that they will because there's so much that could happen, but they are a 60 win caliber team, especially with this watered down Eastern Conference. I picked them very recently in the athletic to win 57 games and go to the yeah. NBA finals. So it's like, certainly going to be between 50 and 60 if it's not above 60. So yeah. So like, like us being negative, I'm not sure I necessarily see that. I, I think some people just sort of want you to be a cheerleader, which isn't our role in the media and isn't quite frankly my personality. But I, you know, I think you can make the case that JJ and, 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 and Jimmy were the two best offensive fits with your best player of everyone you had on that team last year. So yeah, losing them, I think is going to be something you're going to have to, to overcome. Like I think Joel is going to have to take a pretty big step. And I think the offense is going to have to be run differently. And, and you're going to have to get contributions up and down that, up and down that roster. So going on to Mr. Colangelo, or as, as Joel said, you know, at one point, so he said like, we have great communication between me and Elton, and I give him a lot of credit for that. That wasn't always necessarily the case with the last uh, last GM, and I'm paraphrasing. I'm not sure. It, he said something like it wasn't all that with the last GM or something in that vein, basically saying that with Colangelo, he didn't have that kind of communication and trust. And then on the low post, he pretended to not be able to remember his name. He was like, what's his which, name? Brian, Cal- Brian Colangelo? He's like, I, I guess that's right. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, come, I, I, I get on, he is, <laughs> I get that he is the disgraced former general manager. And I get that the Twitter accounts in question, whether you believe that was all his, his wife or, or, or not said some, you know, not great things about Joel. But I was surprised he went, like, he went pretty far out of his way to make those comments. And, uh, you know, does anybody really care? No, not really. Like, I think all of, Twitter has been dunking on Brian Colangelo for a year and a half now, but uh, it was a little bit surprising. One other thing from the uh, Zach Lowe podcast, he, uh, and this is absolutely not serious, he was asked about tweeting Go Pack Go during the uh, Eagles game and uh, eventually sang Fly Eagles Fly, which was fantastic. But basically he's a Packers fan and he made the comparison to, he said, well, I'm a Real Madrid soccer fan. I wouldn't root for the Union. Terrible yes, comparison, not, dude. Yeah. Terrible comparison. If Real Madrid ever played the Union in a game with real stakes, first off, they never would. And if they did, they would win 20 nothing, 20 nil. Is that soccer? I, I don't know, but that, that was a bad comparison. I don't know. That's, uh, it was, I, I will say though, I thought his explanation for tweeting, well, First of all, there's there's two things. First of all, being a Packers fan, I thought his explanation for being a Packers fan was was good. Like the fact yeah. that he had met Aaron Rodgers, they had formed a friendship. Like, of course, you'd want to support your friendship, but you could tweak Go Pack Go on literally any of the other 15 weeks of the Packers schedule, yeah. and get a much better reaction than he, was, uh, than he got. He was I mean, asking for it. He was trolling. He was trolling. Bit. Of course, yeah. he was. And uh, and that's fine, by the way. Even if he, even if he didn't have a good reason to root for the Packers. You know, if he wants to root for the Packers, that's great. Like, we don't own his fandom, you know, and he clearly supports Philadelphia. If Mike Scott wants to root for the, uh, for the racial slurs, he can do that too. Obviously, he's from that area. But if you want, if you just, want to say ad- that, if you want the athletes that you root for to have a personality and to be antagonizing and to be a troll on the court, guess what? They're probably going to occasionally be a troll towards you. Accept the good and the bad and move on. It's not that big of a deal. It's football. 
Let's move on to something that is a big deal, though, and that's his health. What yes. would you say? I mean, he. Uh, it sounds like. And Brett Brown was talking about how, and I thought this was a good point. I don't know if it's true or not because we haven't seen him play. But he basically was like, anybody can lose weight and go on a diet. But to also have a, a fitness base and to be in shape, that is uh, the holy grail in Brett's terms. So so what, what, what have you made about kind of everything Embiid has said about his workload, how they're going to handle him? How it seems like the load management is already starting in training camp. What, uh, what's kind of your first thought about what you've heard? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think first of all, a lot of people have asked, like, does he look like he's lost 20 pounds? It's hard to say. Like when you're talking about, he's a big man still. He's a, he's a very big man that I haven't seen in a couple of months. It maybe, I don't know. Um, he's still, he's, he's not a small man. I'll tell you that. Uh, but losing 20 pounds on a 7-2 frame, like, I don't think it's quite as noticeable, especially if you haven't seen them in a while as you, you would expect. So I don't know. He, we'll see. And we also haven't really seen him do anything on the basketball court. So it's hard to even say how well he's moving. You know, he wasn't practicing during the five on five portion of the practice that we saw. The other day, the first day of training camp, all we did was see him shoot. So, you know, they said that he had, taking part in the other portions of practice that, you know, Brett said that he is, his cardio, he was, his fitness level was really good and he was getting up and down the floor well and he wasn't, you know, stopping because he was out of breath or, or, or tired. So that sounds good. But I think, you know, would there be some concern? He basically said that he didn't do a whole lot of basketball, like, like real basketball training. Yeah. That's the, over the summer. Or, or, because he or, was rehabbing from the, the tendonitis. Yeah, or, or he was saying I didn't do a lot of scrimmaging and stuff right, like that. Right. I, I think he was. Oh, he was a certain like he, he said was he was shooting he was, and yeah, ball and he said he was work, yeah ball handling is, this, is specifically what he brought up to to you know kind of dribble his way at double teams and, and work on his face up game and all that stuff. So he certainly has done basketball drills, but I I agree getting like the five on five like last summer. We saw a lot of him like going against Tatum and, and, and in those workouts with Drew yeah. Handlin. We didn't see as much of that this year. And it sounds like he maybe didn't do as much, like you said, five on five scrimmaging because of the tendonitis and the rehabbing and whatnot. So I think, you know, would, would I be concerned that they're load managing his, you know, training camp? Not really. It's more that he wasn't able to play five on five in the off season. Now, because of that, they're sort of ramping him up. It's more that. He wasn't playing in the offseason that I would be uh, be a little bit concerned about, but I'm not going to raise any flags over the fact that he missed a portion of practice today. Like yeah, he, I think it seems like he's just being very honest about how he's been been limited. It's just and, tough because it, it feels like every practice for the last three years has been well. How much has Joel Embiid been able to participate? And we're already starting off on day one. Well, he's not participating in everything. Which, by the way, might be the right call. Yep. It's just I think everybody would be reassured if it was like, oh, he's good to go. Which, yeah. which by the way, that's sort of like the mentality they had at the beginning of last year, where it's just like play him, play him, play him, play him, play him, night in, night out, play him. Prove that he's a quote-unquote real basketball player. And it, 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 it got him into a bad spot at the end of the season. So I think it's something where we'll overreact a little bit now because we're worried. But in the end, it's probably like I'm very much pro-cautious approach with Joe. Joe playing basketball 
at all is going to elicit a strong reaction either way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, he, he is being very honest about what his limitations were. But on the other hand, he's saying, well, I want to play 70 games and win the MVP. And I think he, he talked about, there was one thing that I thought was pretty interesting in there when he was kind of talking about meeting with the new sports science staff and, and all the people who, who will handle his, uh, his workload. He, he said something that last year he did not like their strategy of, there was a couple times when they would have one game in five days. They would give him that game off. And the, right. the idea was, okay, well now you're giving him basically a week off. He is really against that. Yep. He, he basically says, I get out of shape way too easily. That screws me up when I come back. That, that's the benefit. It's just not enough considering how far back I, uh, I go. So it seems like the goal for this year is going to be more, you know, they're not going to run him in the ground like they did early last season, but it's still going to be consistent. Just they're going to try and limit the minutes a little more. So, you know, and again, he, he did not get into super specifics. I'm kind of taking bits and pieces of a couple answers there and, and piecing them together. But, uh, it, it seems like that's the plan isn't. To take a whole, like a ton of games off, it seems like it's just to find kind of a consistent rhythm that is not an insane amount of minutes. Yeah. We'll see whether either Joe or Brett can, you know, when a game's 92-92 with five minutes left. That's what's tough, I'm, right? I'm, I'm fixing the score there because Brett always says with like two minutes left, and that's just not realistic in today's NBA. But when it's 92-92 with five minutes left, like you don't, nobody's going to want to hear anything about a minute's you know, guideline. How about when they go um, so, to overtime? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think, I think Joe's always complained about getting out of shape really quickly. So it's not stunning that this is on his mind. And look, if you want to say like, like you said, the one game and four and five nights, don't give him that night off. But like, how many backpacks are there? 13, 14, something in that range. I haven't actually gone through and counted. Yeah. In the schedule, but there's a lot of back-to-backs off. You can get, he, he should, he should sit almost every one of those. So like, one thing I'm worried about, so even if you just take back-to-backs off and maybe one or two games elsewhere, you're still talking about 65 to 67 games, which I would view as almost like a theoretical, like I would view 70 games as a theoretical max, like absolute max. And one thing I'm worried about, you know, it's, whenever you have a player of Embiid's caliber, he's going to talk about the MVP before the season. Like he will talk about the MVP, God willing, every year between now and 2025 at the minimum, because that's when he's in his prime. He should be dominating the league. Like he's going to want that award every year. But I think actually chasing that award, like in order to win MVP, he's going to have to play 70, 75 games. And I wonder if doing that is counterproductive to the Sixers ultimate goal. So you can't tell a, player of Embiid's caliber not to want the MVP and I get that but I do like mildly concerned I guess is what I would say yeah um yeah I don't have I don't have much else to add I I agree with you that 70 games is that's like the max I think 65 is kind of the sweet spot where if he's and by the way that assumes that he's healthy the entire season there's no right you know sprained ankles that take him out for a week or two or something like that but uh yeah 
let's uh but anyway right. it's, it seems it seems like he's uh he's ready to dominate so i guess we just haven't seen a lot from him look i mean ultimately if he's in the shape that everybody's claiming he is in and his knee is fine whether or not he played an extra 20 minutes of 5 on 5 on october 2nd it's pretty relevant yeah pretty relevant so the other guy that we always get asked about how is ben simmons jump shot looking in training camp has he taken one he hasn't. Not well. Well, he took like a heave, like within half court, but greater than three point. He took a heave while we were there. That's the only jump shot we've really seen. Like Tuesday when they were doing after practice when we were let in, they were doing shooting drills. He wasn't. He wasn't taking jump shots. And then he didn't take a jump shot during the five on five practice we saw uh, today on Wednesday. I'll probably release this Thursday morning. But on on Wednesday's practice, he didn't take a jump shot during the game action. Does that matter? No. I don't know. Like, he very well could have just not needed to take a jump shot during that time. But it's another one that we have to sort of say because we're going to get asked about. And, you know, if we go a month and he hasn't taken a jump shot in a practice line or before a game or in a practice that we've seen, like, that will maybe tell you something about his confidence level and taking it in front of the media. But by that time, we'll have games to talk about anyway. So I'm I'm really trying to just say, like, we'll see – when the games come around, but we have nothing, you know, our two days in the gym watching these guys practice, we have nothing to report on that front. Yeah. We should give Simmons jumper the, the podcast off. <laughs> he got a, he got a question that made me laugh at, uh, at media day, whether he thought he was a lead or not. It was kind of a Joe Flacco thing. He, how, uh, how would you expect him to answer that? Yeah. He thinks, uh, he thinks he's elite and I don't necessarily disagree with him. But, Me, on the other hand, I do not think I'm an elite pod- podcaster. I think I'm very mediocre, but we thank you all for listening anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just we, we haven't seen a, a ton from him either, it seems. You know what? The, the funny thing about Ben Simmons is that when he gets asked about he, – he actually got a question about his jumper saying, I don't care uh, when people always bring up the jumper. And yes, it's like, come on. I mean, he, whenever he gets asked about what he did in the offseason and, and whether he worked on his jumper, it's always, we worked on everything. We worked on floaters. We worked on defense. We worked on threes. We were like, he'll just like, he'll mix it in. And it's like, well, nobody cares about the rest of this stuff, man. Uh, but yeah, it seems like he, uh, he, he was really loud today in a way that I have not heard him loud in a yeah. while. He kind of was, uh, I don't know who had that role last year. Butler, would you say? Towards the end. But yeah. like I said, we didn't, we didn't, I mean, we don't see very much practice time at the end of the season. Uh, it's actually pretty comical how little they practice in February and March. Yeah. Well, so whether or not, uh, you know, I don't want to equate being loud with leadership because again, that's just, that's such a hard thing to, uh, to judge and, and, I think Reddick, he, he got asked a lot of questions about this just because he was the oldest guy on the team. And he was like, what's it mean to be a veteran leader? And he was like, I, I think that the way that gets covered is ridiculous. And I, I agree with him. But yeah, it certainly seems like he, uh, he's taking a more active role in, in the offense and defense. He, uh, in that scrimmage day, he almost tore down the rim with a dunk, not a jumper, a dunk. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we haven't seen a ton else from him. No, he was, I mean, he, he was very vocal, uh, today during the scrimmage, which was, I mean, it's, it's good to see. Does that carry over to other forms? Like, I think there are many different ways to be a leader on a basketball team. 
Does that mean he's being more of a leader on a team plane? We'll see. But it was good to see him take a, you know, communication and, and assertiveness from your stars is, is good to see. Yeah. Any, uh, any thoughts on Al Horford? He feels like to me the exact opposite of Jimmy Butler. <laughs> he is, you know, he's non-confrontational. He's, his quotes, you know, he's this kind of, he's this guy who is okay with just fitting in instead of being this alpha personality. But man, when you read his quotes and you, you type, you type them out, they are pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, he's, he, he's not going to give you some of the entertainment factor of Jimmy Butler. And I don't think Al has a personality where he would want to give you that kind of entertainment factor. He's uh, not going to give you the good days of Jimmy Butler, but he's not going to give you the bad days. <laughs> right. Which for a team is, is, is certainly, you know, we might miss Jimmy Butler for his quotes. And some of his controversy, but for a team chemistry, I think he's probably going to do a little bit more. Yeah. Exact opposite is probably the right way to phrase it. Oh, speaking of Simmons, did you see he was on NBA TV? Did you see that flinch he had? No, no, I didn't. He was just doing an interview on NBA TV and somebody's got to get to the bottom of this. I'm sure. I mean, we can get to the bottom of this. I don't want to say, <laughs> I don't want to put this on other people. It's not like our listeners can, can go ask Ben. Um, he was just giving an interview. He gave kind of like a Fultz level flinch, you know. You when, mean the one where he was in the corner in that game? Yes. But it was just while he was being interviewed, it was like he saw a ghost off screen. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Somebody's got to get to the bottom of it. It was, uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's also pretty weird. No, I'll, I'll have to go look it up. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah. But as someone who's terrified of being on TV and doing something stupid, I, uh, I sympath- I, I, yeah, I sympathize for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else. Well, we had, I mean, we had, we had, we had Shake running a little backup point guard. We had, um, Josh Richardson running a little backup point guard. And it seemed like Brett sort of threw a little bit of cold water on that during his availability. And he's like, look, I'm, I'm going to start off giving Howell and Trey a chance to win that backup point guard job. I'm going to alternate them some to give them a chance to showcase themselves. And, you know, Josh might get some some time here and there, but right now it sounds like he's going to be used more off ball, and Josh Richardson sort of back a point guard could be something you see, which is something we talked about a lot during the off season, and Brett sort of said that today could be something that you see, you know, when the rotations shrink and we get the playoff basketball, which uh, you know it's good to have options, I guess. Um, if if Trey Burke or Howell Nato aren't one of your eight or nine best players. It's good not to have to be able to force them because you don't have enough ball handlers at other quote unquote positions. Yeah. Brett said too that they're going to use an 11 man rotation to start the year. 10 or 11. Sorry, I said that, that wrong. And I think that's a, but before anybody freaks out, I think that's the right way to go about it because you're talking about limiting Embiid and Horford's minutes. You're talking about trying to see what you can get from Burke and Neto, like you said. They're probably going to get the first shot as the, as the uh, backup point guard. So, and I'm sure O'Quinn is going to play as, as a backup center at some point. So I, I think, uh, I think both of those guys will get a chance. Unsolicited, Horford and Simmons were raving about how Trey Burke was playing. So we talked to Trey Burke today and it sounds like he got the Bell and Ellie talk, not the, uh, Matisse, you're good people and you guard. I'm sure he said you're good people to Trey, Brett. But uh, he said, 
he, he, the same thing he said to Bellinelli when he signed here. I'm going to be on your ass defensively, man. Uh, I know you can score, but I, I need to see a little more consistent defense. And it sounds like Trey Burke, uh, you know, good interview. It sounds like he, uh, he has bought into that. I will be curious to see what that looks like when the, uh, when the games start. He'll certainly have some pretty good defenders behind him, but it doesn't surprise me that, uh, he's the type of player that the teammates would, would like. Just he seems like a guy who, you know, has some impressive one-on-one moves, has some scoring ability. It, it always seems to me like the players like those Lou Williams kind of Kemba Walker, those those tough small guards who are, who are just kind of hard to guard one-on-one. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's, you know, Ben sort of went out of his way in the first day of camp to mention how well Trey played. And a lot of times, like, you'll – reporters can lead athletes and coaches into questions – you know, they lead them into answers that they want. Like, if we walk up to Joel and we're like, hey, how did Matisse, was Matisse flying around on defense today? Like, Joel's going to give you, like, yeah, he was looking good today. He was, you know, really active on defense. And you could do that to three or four players and, and Brett. And you could go write your column that Matisse looked great and, and sort of, is that true? Who knows? Like, we don't have access to the practice. But this was not a case where anyone led sort of Ben into, into that positive review of Trey's play. Uh, he went out of his way to sort of to sort of bring that up, which doesn't mean anything. No, again, it's one day of training camp, three weeks before the season starts. Like, who really cares? But it, it did add a little bit more weight to uh, to it being an honest evaluation. And like you said, it's it's Trey is the type, especially in sort of these. Not that we're an unstructured play because it's structured, but it's sort of early stages of organized basketball. He has a skill set where he can. You know, just he, I mean, he can go get a bucket. He really, he, he has that in him. Uh, and I, you know, it, it's, it's, we'll see. It was funny. Everyone sort of said, Hey, Trey's looked really good. And then Brett came out and sort of gave his description of what he was looking for in his backup point guard, which is defend and make shots, which how- seems like it should favor Howell a little bit. Like he just has, he's a, a significantly better on ball. Defender and off ball too. He's, he's, he's a little more disciplined in his rotations. You would expect that to favor him. So we will see how that plays out. And look, I think, I think Burke's going to get every chance. I think they're going to, you know, you mentioned the 10 or 11 man rotation. Like I think those 11 people will change from night to night. And maybe some, one day Matisse will be in that rotation and the next day Zaire will be in that rotation. And one day it'll be Burke and one day it'll be Neto. And you know, it's, it's, I think that number's, going to stay roughly the same because I don't think Brett wants to play too many people any one night and t- 10 or 11 especially 11 would be towards the upper end of that anyway but I think who compromises those 10 or 11 will change so I think I think Trey will get his, his shot you know can first of all will he buy in defensively not only in early October but in late January you know we'll, we'll see about that and also, even if he does, like he's still a, a very short guard with short arms and not a whole lot of strength. So we'll, you know, we'll see how much that translates into actual good defense. But it is, yeah. a, it seems like it's a good start to camp for Trey. It's not a, it's not just an effort thing with him. I'm, I'm sure m- no. most of it hasn't been effort, but he's in a good spot for, uh, for what his skill set is. So he, he certainly has a chance to play, and it's good to hear that he's, uh, he's starting off well. Back to your point about reporters leading athletes on. The uh, the best example I've ever seen of that was 
One of the local news stations when the U.S. Open was at Marion, I believe it was 2011 was the year. I think so. It was one of those years. Uh, one of the news stations, they tease, wait till you see what Tiger Woods said about Philadelphia fans. And uh, he got asked a question. It was basically like, how great is it to play in Philadelphia and these fans? And like Tiger Woods, kind of just the robot that he is, is just like, yeah, it's great. I uh, I like him. And and they made it seem like he just unsolicited came out and just showered Philadelphia fans with praise. I'm sure it still went over really well that uh that segment. But uh I saw the question get asked and it was uh it was a complete setup. Anytime you have a a an athlete of any national prominence come into town, the the TV studios love that question. They absolutely adore asking that and it is a little bit sickening. I don't mind it too much when it's Tiger Woods because I don't care about his, you know, his answers or the opportunity to talk to him. But when it I is care a, about his approval, <laughs> when it is a, a basketball game that I have to cover, it is it is a little bit annoying. All right, let's take Kobe. A, we love you. Remember that? Remember <laughs> that guy? No, we're not. We're that not getting was, into that story. We're not getting into that insane. one. That was insane. That was insane. Anyway, um, Rich is referencing Kobe Bryant's last game in Philadelphia. If you want to go look up that post game press conference. All right, let's take a real quick break from the podcast, talk about this week's sponsor, betonline.ag. Football season is back, and now you can get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, betonline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and make your bets on your favorite professional or college team. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bet parlay or tease your way through this season. Will Patrick Mahomes set the record with 56 touchdown passes on the season? Uh, what was he at last year? He was at like 50, right? I think it was like right around 50. It was a lot of touchdowns. It was a lot. I think it was the third most in NFL history. Can the 4-0 Pats go undefeated? Bet on all of this with the fastest odd updates and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head on over to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join today and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Once again, that's promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Get into all the action today with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, back uh, back to the show. I will say we didn't talk too much about media day, but Kylo Quinn, whew, he's a fun one, isn't he? He's sort of replacing the he's he's replacing Amir Johnson's role not only in the role on the basketball court, but the role on the good quote after the game. Completely agree. I hope he gets some time and is okay because that'll make. Uh... That'll make our jobs easier. It seems like he can uh, he can fill up the notebook pretty easily. I did not know that he was so good at uh, at talking, and I, I knew a little bit about his uh, his bar mitzvah escapades yep. and all that stuff. Uh, how about Mike Scott though? I knew that was coming, and yeah. uh, he did not disappoint. They First were, question in Mike Scott's press conference was about the Eagles game and about the fight, and you know I thought he handled it pretty well. Um, he, he, it was an amazing answer. It was an amazing answer. He did not hold anything back. Well, and, it's, it's and he explained specifically what happened. Like, wasn't hiding anything from us, and it was, uh, it was the most Mike Scott answer you can get, and I mean that as a, as a compliment. Well, he started off. He's like, "Yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done it. I should, should have just walked away." He's like, "But I had to see if they were match, they could match their energy." And he, he didn't really like. He, he knew. I should say I shouldn't have done it, but I don't really believe I shouldn't have done it. And you know what? I don't, I have no, like, Sixers treated that as a non-disciplinary event. 
from everything I've seen and know, I think that was the right call. And, uh, you know, he, he, he did seem like he, you know, he was basically asked, like, if they apologize to you, because apparently there's a report out there. I haven't followed up on the story too much. But apparently there's a report on there that the, the people involved in there tried to apologize to him and, and reached out to the Sixers. He's like, hey, I hadn't heard that, but yeah, I'd, I'd accept their apology. He's like, later that night, if they wanted to grab a beer and, and, and talk about the game, he would have been happy to. And it's like, you know what? That's a, a, a really good answer. I, I'm not sure if I was in Mike Scott's shoes of what was reportedly said and, and done, if I would be that big of a person. But I thought I thought that was a really good answer for him. And, and just in general, he was like, I had a great time at that game. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, "We uh, this is Philly, man. Of course we're brawling before noon on a Sunday. <laughs> And then Kylo Quinn calling out Draft Express. Yeah, yeah, he was calling you know, out you. Was back in our day, if uh, if you wanted to get found, you had to wait to see if Draft Express would talk about you. And he's like, who's behind that screen? What kind of upside do they have? And I'm like, oh, shit. Did, did I write this Kylo Quinn scouting report? And I went back and I checked. And I was actually – that was back in the day when we used to put four scouting reports on each article. And I was on that article, but I was writing about somebody else. So I was not the one that Kylo Quinn – was wondering whether I had any upside because I will tell you what I was a six foot two power forward in high school without a jump shot and with no handles and those don't really make it in the NBA which is why I now talk about it. Not quite. You're uh, I don't know how tall is Chuck Hayes and <laughs> he's probably the best version of that although he uh, he maximized everything he he, he had. Uh, I also blew out my ACL as a junior and that pretty much ended ended the basketball part. What's the other thing I was thinking of with? Uh, Oh, Josh Richardson. I think he's going to do pretty well in Philly. He, uh, he's not pandering to anybody, but he comes from that, that heat background where they, they basically beat the crap out of each other in practice. They are very militant about their, uh, their body fat, I think, or something like that. I didn't, I read something this week that, uh, somebody got sent home from their training camp because they didn't make weight, but he basically said that, uh, he really, it, 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 it's something that I talked about with him at the uh, opening press conference, but he basically was like, man, me and JJ Redick were beating the crap out of each other in that playoff series. And you, and you knew when you played the Sixers, you were going to get in a fist fight every time. So I think if he keeps coming with those quotes, he's going to do pretty well here. Yeah. I mean, if, if we wanted to lead, you know, we talked about leading, leading players into answers we want, like we could lead. We could lead Josh into some really great answers about that playoff series uh, all season long, and it would probably never get old for either Josh or fans uh, because everyone would would eat that up. And you know what? He he sort of took on an interesting role in that series, guarding that Embiid Redick two man game quite a bit. So maybe he has some unique perspective on you know Joe as a screener and 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 sort of the gravity that he has and how he can play off of that. Yeah, he had a good line on Lowe's podcast where Lowe was like. Have, Have you, you thought about it all? He's like, I defended it. I guarded it. So, you know, and, uh, it's true. I, uh, he's going to have to be a good screener though. That's going to be the one thing. JJ was, was unbelievable at those back screens and those cross screens for Joe. So you got to be part, part of it is you got to be a little bit dirty as a screener. You got to be willing to, uh, you know, set those moving screens to get him open. But I would, I would imagine Josh Richardson is up to the task on that one. So it's still weird. And look, I know, I know shooters tend to be good screeners because of the gravity they have. It's still weird to think about JJ Reddick and being like, man, we're going to really miss his screen setting. Just the, the way the game has changed. Speaking of JJ, 
it was kind of stunning to me. Tobias got asked about this today. He is the second longest tenured player on this team. Basically like NBA service time. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm JJ is, no, or he Tobias. was when it, Tobias is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that would have really confused me. I'm like, it, like dream the entire offseason where JJ's elsewhere. No, you didn't. But Tobias said eight years has been in the NBA, the second longest on this team. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Cause Brett asked today, he's like, you know, he's thinking through his head, and this is my 20th season in the NBA, and he's thinking about how much the league has changed. He's like, wait a minute. Has anybody on this team even been in the league a decade? And it was a good answer. Like, I forget who asked it. I think it was probably, was it Narducci, asking about, you know, having more veterans and having more experience on team. He's like, you know what? We don't have that many people who have really been around for a long time that you would think, that that guy's a real veteran. He's been through the wars. We have a lot of guy. he likes to call it the honey, honey spot. Honey pot? Honey spot. Whatever. He, we, we, he, he's like, we have a lot of guys right in the middle there where they're experienced. They know what to do. They know what the battles are, but they're not old enough where their bodies are starting to break down and they're, they're, they're losing a step. He's like, we have a lot of people right in that experienced range. Not too many. You, you still have some people you would consider kids. And Tobias was sort of joking about it throughout. He's like, I'm not really that much older than Ben and Joel. I've just been in the league longer or, or at least played more games because they've missed years. Um, years in Joe's case, a year in, in Ben's case. But we have a lot of guys that are sort of like, you know, they're still in their physical prime, but they have experience. And, and, and Brett seemed to like, uh, to like that. It really is only Al who's a, a long-term NBA veteran. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else. Zaire and Matisse. I love Matisse whenever he gets asked what his role is and expanding his role. He's like, I'm just here to make threes and play some defense. <laughs> yeah. I also liked, you know, Brett sort of went out and he was talking about how great both Matisse and Zaire looked. And then he asked Matisse, like, man, I, I kind of sucked. He's like, my head was spinning. Didn't know 100% where to be. I'm, I'm being a little bit more conservative on defense because I'm just trying to know, learn my role. And then the sort of that aggressive playmaking will come when I'm more comfortable. He's like, I got to do better, man. He's like, and, I, and he was like, I will. Like tomorrow I'll think a little bit less and I'll be a little bit better and I'll just progress through time. But I think there's a little bit of, of first of all, Brett wants to talk his young kids up. But I think even more, Matisse is probably just really hard on himself. And he'll remember the couple of times he's out of position or the shots that he missed rather than the, uh, you know, the times he wasn't in, in, in position. I'm sure it's a combination of both, but it was interesting to see that contrast between the two. He looks like he's a pretty hard worker too, because we go through that entire interview session, which is, I don't know, four or five guys. He is still on the court shooting after that, which is kind of rare. Yeah, I think in a couple of years, Brett will be like, he guards and he's good people. Uh, I feel pretty strongly about that one with Matisse. Yeah. All right. I'm not sure I have too much else on there. Like I said, it's great that practice is back but we're still talking about shooting drills and maybe 15 minutes of five on five so not not that much to go on we're mostly going off of what coaches and players say but we will i mean we have two more days now of camp and then a scrimmage and then preseason yeah the uh the i don't even know how to say the uh the city but uh, a chinese team is coming in and uh oh, judging, on, Rich. you got to give this a shot. Do it. You can get it. Guangzhou? Is that is that how you say? It? I, I have no idea. That's what I mean. You don't even <laughs> know what the answer is. <laughs> There's a reason I'm making you on and not doing it myself. Yeah, 
well, they're coming in and, uh, judging by that, uh, that Rockets game the other night, I imagine that's going to be a, a lot to a little at the end of the game. But, uh, yeah, no, it'll be good to, to get to the scrimmage. That's, uh, Saturday at, uh, at 76ers Fieldhouse in Wilmington. I believe Elton Brand will speak before that. I don't know what we'll have to ask him, but we'll figure something out. Yeah, and that'll, that'll be fun. I'll have a, you know, basically, a, I have about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minute commute to get there each way. Um, it's not looking forward to that one. I've, it's, it's, anyway, thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.